Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue our lesson from last week with Acts chapter 6, verses 3 through 15. As the apostles died off and the written New Testament was completed, they were replaced by evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Once the fullness of the doctrine of ecclesiology was unfolded, every church had elders and deacons. Acts 6, verses 1 through 7, marks the beginning of the office of deacon in the church. The remainder of this chapter focuses mainly on one chosen deacon, Stephen. Please listen to Pastor Jim as he delivers today's portion of this week's message entitled, The Infant Church Takes First Steps, Part 2. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 contain the, the lists of the biblical character qualities that are required to recognize who is an elder. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's an almost identical list for deacons. The main difference between the two, uh, those two offices, is that the elders are where the buck stops, if you will. They are the leaders in soul care and in preaching and teaching. Hebrews 13 says we will give an account for the souls of the, that are entrusted to us. The deacons are primarily assisting the elders and taking charge of hands-on ministries. Elders and deacons work closely together uh, as a, a, and as a team, but that's the distinction. And once we get Paul on the scene, you're going to see several more steps, even here in the book of Acts, in the progressive unfolding of ecclesiology. But today, the what did I call it? The infant church takes baby steps. Once the leadership of the church was in the hands of the elders, it was Peter who um, shows us the seamless connection between the leadership of the apostles and the leadership of the elders, the apostles being only in the first generation of the church. But Peter, even though he was an apostle, even though he was the mouthpiece of the apostles at the beginning, he considered himself, as that transition unfolded, to be one of the elders. Look what he wrote in 1 Peter 5, 1 to 3. He says, therefore, and now he's writing to several different churches in several different places that we're going to see mentioned here in the book of Acts. He says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. There's his command. Shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. All three of the words for elders are used there. Elders, oversight, exercising oversight, and shepherds. They're all, they're all different ways of describing the same office of elder, overseer, and shepherd. 
we really missed Scott Basolo for a couple of weeks, but he was ministering in a place where you have pastors that have been saturated in the anti-First Peter 5 methodology of quasi-pseudo-spiritual leadership, where they do do it for sordid gain. The prosperity gospel, it works great for making prosperous preachers, and it just sucks the life out of everybody else. Uh, this is exactly what we need to be doing is building churches in the way that Christ wants it done. Now, today, let's take a look at this infant church in Jerusalem choosing its first deacons. We began last time, just kind of got our feet wet, and I wanted to make the point to you that, that this whole concept of, of um, organizing and knowing who is in and who is out and what the lines of accountability are begin to be developed very early here in the book of Acts. Well, it starts with this. Number one, a need arises. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. The Greek-speaking contingent was concerned that their widows were not being treated the same as the Hebrew-speaking or Aramaic-speaking widows. It was a legitimate need, and it was prime opportunity for disaster. What? You're not taking care of my grandma like you take care of your grandma? Well, we're going to have to deal with this. Well, it was a legitimate thing, but this ministry was huge, it was growing rapidly, and every day they were taking care of the most needy, especially the widows. So, if you will, there were growing pains in this, in this whole operation. A need arises. Number two, we pointed out, leaders prioritize. Now, we said it's a very good thing to feed hungry people. It's a very good thing for believers to share needs together. It's a very good thing to pay special attention to the needs of widows. But it's not possible to study and teach full-time, to be devoted daily to prayers, and to reason with people day in and day out about the gospel in the temple and from house to house, and also to handle the hard work of distributing and serving food. So they kept their priorities. Look at verse 2. So the twelve, the apostles, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. It's not wrong to serve tables. It's right to serve tables, but we have to prioritize who does what. So after the need arises and the leaders prioritize, the leaders propose a plan. The plan proposed by the twelve did not minimize the complaint, took it seriously, and also kept their priorities in place. So verses 3 and 4, they said, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Nearly all commentators and Christian theologians believe that Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, is the beginning of the office of deacon in the church. Now, those who don't agree with that say that, well, these men that were chosen to serve were never given the title deacon. Well, that's an argument from silence. 
what they did was they deked. Okay? The word deacon means servant. They were appointed to oversee the daily serving of things under the leadership of the apostles. That's exactly the relationship between elders and deacons as it is uh, developed later in the, in the New Testament. I, I agree this is the beginning of the concept of deacons. The concept is here. People chosen because of spiritual qualifications to serve under the leadership of the apostles, later the elders, to carry on certain ministries of the church. That's the pattern described, especially in the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. Now, the ministry that needed the oversight is exactly the kind of thing that deacons are best suited for. So there's a sequence of events here that outlines the process of choosing these three men. And there are practical applications here. Just, just listen to this process. It began with people being saved. This whole thing starts with, Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. By the way, it was this Jesus that you crucified. There's His tomb. It's empty. You got a problem. You are in opposition to God. You preach the gospel. It begins with people being saved and then continuing in fellowship with one another and, and, and learning sound doctrine. And then as, they, as this whole group grows in their fellowship, spirit-led ministry goes on, like taking care of widows. There were many things happening, but the daily care of widows began to expose a weakness that needed to be addressed. So a need arises to make sure that the ministry is as effective as possible. The leaders acknowledge the need. Now, it's not spelled out in the text exactly, but it's quite clear there was open communication between the leaders the apostles, and the people involved in the ministries of the church. There was a very close fellowship. And then we saw the leaders maintain their priorities. Good leaders don't abandon what God calls them to do. There are many good works to be done, but that doesn't mean everyone should do all of them. And leaders especially have to prioritize, and they have to equip and, and utilize the gifts of other people. So the leaders propose the solution. They figure out a way to not minimize what they do, but they harness the gifts of, that God has given to other people. And here's another practical application you can make, make from that. Whenever you begin to do something in the church, whenever you see a need and you start to meet it, whenever you accept a responsibility and you start to, and you start to do it, you should immediately, always, and forever be seeking out and challenging others to come and help you do it. That's how people learn to serve, by being asked to serve, by having someone show them how to serve, and they join you, and they, and they help. That is, a, that's called a discipleship. That's how disciples are made. That's exactly what Jesus did. He brought these guys together, he taught them, and he, and he had them go to work. Then, we have the congregation getting involved in this. They are asked to participate by recommending qualified people to take on the responsibility. Notice they said, select from among you qualified men. That reflects the godly wisdom of leading by sound principles rather than by making edicts. They said, okay, you see who is being faithful. You know the people around you. You recommend to us 
people whom we may put in charge. And that's the next principle. The leaders screen the recommendations. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.